0: As part of World Pride, we've been investigating the history of LGBTQ plus gathering spaces. And while physical places like lesbian bars and gay saunas have been shutting down in recent years, LGBTQ plus people of all ages have been flocking to meet online. Nat Tenchich explores how gay and trans people spearheaded the early internet and how logging on helped a new generation find their identities.
1: Ever since the internet was a thing queer people have been online you know from those really early days in the 90s when queer people were connecting through message boards and chat rooms. Queer people were using our technology to connect and share their experiences and to date and hook up and to cruise and to learn new language and I think queer people are really pioneers in digital spaces.
2: Ever since the days of dial-up, LGBTQ people have been internet trailblazers. At a time when you had to wear a mask in the real world, the early internet offered an opportunity to take off the mask and try on the identity you'd had to hide. Dr Brady Robards is an associate professor of sociology at Monash University, studying queer online spaces. He remembers his early forays into this world in the 90s.
1: I remember being 13 and being on dial up message boards, um, email kind of mailing lists. um, And these, they used to call them MUDs, which were sort of multi user dungeons. And they were all like completely text based. So you'd go in and it would, spit out like a kind of generated um, description of the room or the the building you were kind of virtually going into these were kind of these really early kind of internet spaces where people were creating communities oftentimes not even using real names like there was a lot of you know identity work and kind of role playing happening in these spaces as well and kind of figuring out who people were
2: not only did the internet offer anonymity and the chance to create yourself but access and the chance to meet other people just like you anywhere on the planet?
1: I think one of the great promises of the internet has always been about overcoming um, different kind of physical boundaries, whether that's about geography. So, you know, for people who were in towns and, and locations where these bars didn't exist or where there they weren't kind of meetups, These gave people the opportunity to, um, you know, connect from the comfort of their own home, as today we kind of think about through smartphones, we can connect anywhere. But when it was kind of the dial-up internet on, on home PCs, this was a great opportunity for people who otherwise didn't have access to these places to be able to have those connections. Um, but not just about geography, like oftentimes it was about people who might not have felt comfortable to be in these spaces, they might not be out to the people in their lives, or they might not be able to access those spaces for a whole number of reasons. So I think in the same way that these technologies are still really important today, early on, they gave people those opportunities to connect uh, in ways they might not be able to experience in physical spaces. So they're incredibly valuable then. And I think they're still really incredibly valuable for us today as well.
3: Why is it so hard to find information on LGBTQ history?
1: Well, there's a few
2: actually.
3: Yeah? I just assumed I wasn't like searching for the right terms or something.
2: Well, maybe, but- Hannah McElhinney is the content creator behind Rainbow History Class, a TikTok account dedicated to educating young LGBT people about their history and more on TikTok later. She's also been tracing how queer people gathered on the internet. The internet, especially the early internet, let you be anyone, even your real self. As forums grew online, Hannah says that trans people in particular found a safe place to be themselves, share life-saving information, and kick off the new LGBT rights movement.
3: They would share updates about their transitions, share the names of medical professionals, Even just adopt new names, new pronouns, new versions of of their true gender online to really kind of experiment with how they can, you know, express who they are in a place where no one was going to know and it was completely anonymous for them to do so. So that was really, really important. And as that happened, that's, you know, these forums became sort of communities where organising for protest and activism became much easier. Because before then, you know, you were relying on magazines that would be community run and so there was obviously just like a delay in getting information. So the forums really gave that sense of immediacy and also a sense of globalness to the activism movement. So all of a sudden you could have people who were... Um, transgender in Melbourne, in discourse with people in America. Um, So you really kind of got this global movement happening on the internet, which was really important.
2: Queers would meet online to share tips, organise demonstrations, but of course as in many a queer space, they would also gather online to date. The final chapter in Hannah's book, also titled Rainbow History Class, is called The Internet is the New Gay Bar. And as online dating was budding, the gays leapt on this technology to cruise from the comfort of home.
3: As you get to the late 90s and early 2000s, that's when online dating became a thing. So that's where you got um, places like Manhunt, Pink Sofa for Lesbian and Bisexual Women. They started kind of cropping up and that became a place where, you know, that whole bar etiquette, where you sort of needed to go and court a person or make eyes at them. You know, that, that really just fell away. And I think people will say that about Tinder and Hinge or other dating profiles, but I think it's important to remember the danger of hitting on somebody if you were queer back then. So you weren't just saying, I like you, do you want to get a drink? You were asking them if they were queer as well. And there was a high chance that if they weren't, they might be hostile toward you or even violent. So like, I totally understand why you move online because it just becomes so much safer when, you know, meeting people in in a bar or a club might not have been. The internet really did offer something really important to us and that was safety. Okay,
2: let's fast forward about 10 years. Welcome to the era of broadband. No longer do we have to get off the internet to take a phone call. And it's the very start of social media too. Blogs rule, MySpace is just seeding internet dominance to Mark Zuckerberg and over on a little micro blogging site called Tumblr, teenage millennials are hashing out high-level queer theory, coming up with new terms and even flags for communicating their experiences. Here's Hannah.
3: You have Tumblr come in and that's when we got community and everyone all around the world was able to kind of participate and create new culture in a way that probably only happened at clubs um, up until this point. And so that's when you got new identities just go boom. We're getting words that are being used, like deeper understandings of what it means to be different identities. Just the depth of understanding that came out of Tumblr, especially on those sexualities or or identities that were really misunderstood or misrepresented by the media, like bisexuality, for example. Tumblr gave us a real place to kind of understand and share. And that's when we've got more sexualities and, and genders. There's not just non-binary people but like a whole spectrum of other gender diverse identities that came out and they all have flags and they all have memes and now these codes that we've always relied upon just sort of proliferated very quickly out of tumblr forget
2: lesbian gay or bi now we had words like pan-gender omnisexual demisexual aromantic to describe the unexplored nuances of queerness Brady says this helped LGBTQ identity explode in the real world.
1: People talk about learning uh, terms that they now use to describe themselves for the first time online. So whether it was learning about a concept like pansexuality or asexuality or what it's like to be a trans person, people learn languages that kind of map to their own experiences and it's, it's not like people learn to be these things through the internet, but it's like they find language to describe their own experience of the world. And of course, once we have some shared language, some shared kind of terminology to describe our experiences, that actually helps us to connect with other people who have those experiences. Because, you know, if you're in a you know regional town and you, you know, have no kind of queer elders around you or people who you can trust to talk to about issues relating to gender and sexuality, it's really hard to develop that language. Like you might feel like you're different to the people around you, your friends at school or your parents, but you don't really have that language to be able to make those connections. So in in kind of using the internet to find these sort of channels, this gives people so much power to sort of connect with other people like them and to learn about um, experiences that are different to their own as well. That's really important part of it.
2: So fast forward another ten years. The Internet is everywhere you go now, on your phone, on your watch, on your washing machine. You're stuck inside during a pandemic doing nothing but scrolling. And an algorithm is delivering videos, photos and stories tailored to your interests. And on TikTok, young people are getting content that they didn't even realise was relevant to them until it showed up in their feed.
1: How to know if you're gay according to TikTok. You walk very fast. You can't sit in a chair normally. You have developed an iced coffee addiction. You cuff your jeans all the time. You have mostly gay people on your For You page. Congrats, you are a homosexual. Yay.
0: I don't know who needs to hear this, but you look non-binary. You don't look like a man. You don't look like a woman.
3: If you're wrestling with your sexuality, straight people never wrestle with their sexuality. So if you happen to think about it that much, you're probably queer. Three signs that you might be bisexual. Number one you subscribe to the belief that everyone's a little bisexual no
2: not everyone is but you might be Hannah being a TikToker knows how important TikTok has become for connecting young queer people and helping them realise their identity.
3: You will hear the news talk about, you know, how many more people identify as LGBTQIA after COVID. And really that is because of, of platforms like TikTok, which allowed us to kind of share our experiences more rapidly and yeah, with greater depth and with more diverse perspectives. As online spaces keep transforming
2: and changing, so too is this feeding back into queer life in the real world. Dr. Brady Robards says it doesn't mean that the physical will become redundant and we'll all plug ourselves into the matrix. These worlds will always be symbiotic and continue to change each other.
1: Yes, I think always there's this relationship between digital and physical spaces has always been really important. Even in those early days of the internet of, you know people connecting in more anonymous spaces they've often led to you know meetups and people gathering in physical spaces and i think today it's still really important for us to maintain you know these these kinds of um the midsummer festival of course things like world pride like mardi gras like these kind of physical spaces where we, we get together and experience and celebrate community are really vital and i think digital media operate alongside, not always in, in place of, there's a kind of real important relationship there. So yeah, definitely, I think social media, digital media, the internet can be a really powerful um, tool, channel mechanism for mobilization. But those physical spaces are also super um, important still.
2: The internet is changing those physical spaces and Hannah says it's on queer community to continue to evolve. It's now about finding the balance between worlds on and offline.
3: I'm seeing as we're more aware of things like the demise of gay bars and lesbian bars and also the real need that's emerged for non-gay or lesbian bars. It's this kind of tricky catch-22 because I would be lying if I said that there wasn't you know, enormous benefits to segregated spaces. Throughout history. But it gets messy because we want to include a range of people that don't fit into gay or lesbian spaces. You know, where can bisexual people go if they're in a relationship with, you know, an opposite sex partner? That doesn't mean that they need to go to a heterosexual kind of bar and, and feel erased. Um, and we also, of course, have trans people in various stages of transitions and various expressions and really that should not have anything to do with the spaces they're allowed in. So we are in this kind of tricky place where we do want places that are for us, but all of a sudden the us looks a little different and we need to kind of work on how we can create those spaces that are inclusive to everybody.
0: Author, content creator, and researcher Hannah McElhinney, ending that story by Nat Tenchich. Hannah's book, Rainbow History Class, Your Guide Through Queer and Trans History, is out on the 8th of March. And next, where are the women in Australian science? Well, they're in the lab, in the classroom, in the field, and at conferences. And now, they're in the history books, too.
1: Rediscovered.